Again, if you would like to turn in the back of your hymnal to 671, that is where we are in our confession together. Um, We are in paragraph 7 of chapter 1 of the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And the, the topic here in this paragraph, if I turn my mic on, that'll be better. The topic in this paragraph 7 of chapter 1 of the Confession is the clarity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture. It's not a long paragraph. Uh, if you see paragraph 7 there, um, you can follow along as I read it. All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other, that not only the learned, but the unlearned, in a due use of ordinary means, may attain to a sufficient understanding of them. The Confession also uh, footnotes Second Peter 3.16 um, to the first part of that, that uh, where it says, All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. We'll get to Second Peter 3 about that. And then to the rest of the paragraph, it has Psalm 19, verse 7, and Psalm 119, verse 130. I'd like to start with uh, something that Jim Renahan writes here about this paragraph. Uh, I'm calling, as I said, this topic the clarity of Scripture. A longer, bigger word, which basically means clarity, but this is the big theological word that's used for it, is perspicuity. I always find that word ironic, because perspicuity doesn't sound clear at all. But that's the word for the clarity of Scripture. Perspicuity. So, (laughs) Jim Renahan writes, The doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture is frequently misunderstood. What is it, and what does it mean? Essentially, this doctrine received its greatest emphasis in the Reformation. Luther argued for the priesthood of all believers and the right of the individual to read and understand the Bible. The doctrine was developed and defined by the later Reformed theologians. But Romanist leaders, Roman Catholic leaders, misconstrued and misinterpreted it. Cardinal Bellarmine, cited by Francis Turretin, misrepresented the Protestant position when he wrote, Are the scriptures of themselves very plain and obvious so that no interpretation is needed? So the Catholics were accusing the Protestants of saying, You don't even need to interpret the Bible, it's so clear. No interpretation needed. The assumption in his question, Jim Renahan writes, is that the doctrine teaches that every passage of Scripture is equally clear. Uh, Turretin responds to him. So uh, Francis Turretin wrote this. As to the state of the question, observe number one. The question does not concern the perspicuity or the obscurity of the subject or persons, for we do not deny that the Scriptures are obscure to unbelievers. The question does not concern the obscurity of the things or mysteries recorded in Scripture. We agree that there are many mysteries there. 
The question is not whether the Holy Scriptures are perspicuous in all their parts so as to need no interpreter nor exposition of doubtful passages. For we unhesitatingly confess that the Scriptures have their heights and depths which we cannot enter or sound. The question is not whether things in Scripture are everywhere perspicuously revealed. We acknowledge that there are some things hard to be understood. The question does not concern the perspicuity which does not exclude the means necessary for interpretation, that is, the internal light of the spirit, attentions of mind, excuse me, attention of mind, the voice and ministry of the church, sermons and commentaries, prayer and watchfulness. Church is saying, yes, we need all those things to understand scripture. For we hold these means not only useful, but also necessarily necessary ordinarily. The question then comes to this. Whether the scriptures are so plain in things essential to salvation that without the external aid of tradition or the infallible judgment of the church, they may be read and understood profitably by believers. The papists deny this. We affirm it. So Jim Renan finishes up this way. He says, this is clearly the teaching of the confession. Notice how this has worked out. First, there is diversity in scripture in point of clearness. Not all passages of Scripture are equally plain, and not everyone who reads them will be able to understand. Second, there is, there is, however, a clear revelation of all necessary saving truth. And this is accessible to all, learned, that is, literate, and unlearned by ordinary means. For some, this means hearing the word preached and reading it. For others, it may, also involve, it may only involve sitting under sound preaching. But in every case, it is available to those who will make use of the means appointed. This is the first place in the confession that speaks of means. It is a significant term to be explored in greater detail in chapters 5 and 14. That was a long introduction. But you see, in the context of the Reformation, the Roman Catholic Church wanted to argue, look, the Bible needs interpretation. You can't just let the ordinary person in the pew take up a Bible and start reading it, they won't understand it without us. <laughs> and how can they know the way of salvation just from their Bibles? Some of these people aren't even learned. They're not even literate. So they, we need the magisterium, the priesthood of the church to interpret this for them. And without that, they can't be saved. And um, they would take a very similar attitude to what the, uh, the chief priests in Jesus' day did, of course, to the common people. The, these common people, they're cursed. They don't know the law. We know the scriptures rightly. And so the Reformation to the Roman church, in many cases, was just ignorant people um, not listening to the church, but coming up with their own strange ideas. Notice, even the current Roman Catholic Church um, would not accept what is laid out here in paragraph 7 of our confession. Three short, very short quotations from the catechism, the current catechism of the Catholic Church. First of all, paragraph 85 of that catechism, the Catholic Church says, The task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God whether in its written form or in the form of tradition, see, they include, in, they include in the word of God not just the scriptures, but their tradition. 
an authentic interpretation of all that has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the church alone. Its authority in this matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. This means that the task of interpretation has been entrusted to the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the Bishop of Rome. <laughs> End of quote. Or paragraph 87. They say, mindful of Christ's words to his apostles, he who hears you hears me, the faithful receive with docility the teachings and directives that their pastors give them in different forms. Meaning, you need to, to just be docile and receive whatever we tell you because... Christ gave that to us. He gave apostolic authority to us. You just need to listen and do it. In paragraph 100 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the task of interpreting the word of God authentically has been entrusted solely to the magisterium of the church, that is, to the Pope and to the bishops in communion with him. You have no business interpreting the scriptures on your own, you see. Or even as your own church with pastors if you're not in communion with the bishop of rome you're wrong you can't understand the scriptures they're not that clear on their own but you know this this paragraph in our confession is useful for more than simply contradicting the papists it also reminds us of our responsibility as we approach the scriptures we have a great responsibility if we have Bibles. Uh, John Ruther put it this way. He said, In paragraph 6, we learned that the inward illumination of the Spirit of God is necessary for the saving understanding of the things that are revealed in the Word. This paragraph is emphasizing human responsibility in Bible study. This is what it means to seek the Lord. If we want to know God, we must seek for Him, and we seek Him by ordinary means. Reading the Bible, interpreting its plain language, praying for light from the Holy Spirit, etc. <clears throat> when we do these things, the Bible will become clearer to us. You do not need to be a scholar to understand the Bible. Yet, scholars and teachers and pastors do help us by giving us the background of passages and other relevant aids to help us understand and apply the truths of Scripture accurately. Men of God are commanded, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 2 Timothy 2.15 So, there, there's a polemic use of this paragraph, meaning it's a, a defense against something, against an attitude that the Bible, none of the Bible, even uh, how to be saved, none of that's clear for the common person. <laughs> it guards against that attitude. And, and saying that, that you cannot understand the way of salvation from the scripture alone. But it also um, should exhort us, if the scriptures really are plain in the, in the big ideas, and what pertains to life and godliness and the way of salvation, then we have a great responsibility that no one can fulfill for us. Each one of us has a responsibility before God um, for our own souls in light of scripture. We'll talk about that a little more as we go. As Sam Waldron looked at this paragraph, he, he uh, took out of it three points. Here's how I put it. First of all, the Bible is clear. Second, the Bible is not equally clear in all its parts. Number three, the Bible is not equally clear to all. 
think it will help us to work through things in that order here. First of all, the Bible is clear. In the big picture of things, there's clarity to Scripture. Think of Psalm 19, verse 7. Again, uh, these texts having been called out by, by the confession itself. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Even the simple, the unlearned person, can be made wise directly from Scripture, from the testimonies of God in this book. Similarly, Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. We have to be very careful, even as, say, we talk to our children, talk to people who maybe don't have a lot of uh, academic learning or something, uh, people who may have a hard time reading. We have to be careful not to um, give them the impression that they cannot learn from the Bible on their own. (laughs) Uh, That they just have to, perhaps except whatever someone else who knows more than them teaches them from the Bible. Everyone is responsible, you know, perhaps this phrase is overused, but but everyone is responsible to be a Berean, right? The Bereans heard the Apostle Paul teach from the Scriptures, and then they went home and they searched the Scriptures daily to see if those things were true. They didn't just say, well, his claims to apostles seem legitimate, so whatever he says... <laughs> The Bereans searched the scriptures to see if those things were so, because it's the scriptures themselves which give understanding to the simple. Just open it up, read it, or if you can't read, listen to it. There's all sorts of ways to avail yourself of the the ordinary means of grace. Take the Bible in, and it will give you light. Um... Sam Waldron talks about this. He says, The arguments for the clarity of Scripture must first be stated. First, it may be argued that the clarity of Scripture is part of its sufficiency. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 It is ridiculous to say that the Scriptures are adequate to equip the man of God for every good work if they are not clear enough for him to understand. See that? If the Scriptures aren't clear, they can't be sufficient for us. The two go hand in hand. Such writings would be sufficient for nothing at all. Second, the clarity of Scripture is presupposed in its ability to produce conviction. 2 Timothy 3.14 The verb translated become convinced of in the NASB means to feel confident, be convinced. It's clear from the connection with verse 15 that the Scriptures are the source of this conviction. The point is that that, that one is never convinced of anything until it is clearly seen to be true. Um, what he's quoting there and referring to is where Paul tells Timothy and um, he, he, he says to be confident knowing from whom you learned these truths and that uh, you've been convinced of these truths from the Holy Scriptures. Even truth will not produce conviction and confidence if it is presented obscurely. Since Scripture had produced not merely notions, but convictions in Timothy, it must have been clear. And third, the clarity or perspicuity of Scripture is affirmed in many other places. And he lists a bunch of texts. 
And Dr. Waldron makes a good, um, he notes something that's good to note. When we say, when the confession says, all things pertaining to the way of salvation, it says those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of scripture or other. It's not just talking about how to first be saved. It's talking about everything necessary for the outworking of our salvation as well. Um, he says it includes the central duties of the Christian life and good works. Such duties make up the way which leads to life. Matthew seven thirteen through 14. So here's the point. The Bible is clear not only regarding how to be converted, how to come to Christ. The Bible is also clear about uh, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible is not obscure on the main points of how to live as a Christian, how to please the Lord. It's clear. But, again, this paragraph mentions that the Bible is not equally clear in all its parts. Uh, if you could turn to 2 Peter 3 with me, 2 Peter 3, we find an example of this. But it's instructive to see what the context is when Peter says that some parts are hard to understand. 2 Peter 3, verses 15 through 18. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter is largely writing against false teachers in the church who, first of all, are, are um, they have immoral motives and they, they are uh, introducing horrible wickedness in the name of grace. And secondly, they are denying things like the second coming of Jesus Christ. Having... Um, in most of his letter, warned against such teachers. He says in verse 15 of Second Peter 3, And count the patience of our Lord, the fact that, that he is waiting, he hasn't come yet, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Listen to what he says about some things Paul wrote. There are some things in them, in Paul's letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So the Bible is not equally clear in all its parts. There are some great mysteries in it, and there are some difficult texts. There are some difficult parts of the book of Romans, aren't there? Paul wrote that. And it, it's kind of ironic. Peter says, writes to his audience, that the Apostle Paul, he's written some good stuff, but some of it's really hard to understand. And I'm thinking, Peter, did you read First Peter that you wrote? <laughs> There's some hard to understand stuff in there, too. <clears throat> but but that's fine. Uh, he says, Paul's written some hard things to understand, but why does he bring that up? Do you notice why he brought that up? 
he said, yeah, there's some hard things to understand in there, and the ignorant and unstable, likely referring to some of these false teachers he had been addressing, the ignorant and unstable twist those hard things to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So here's a common pattern with false teaching. It'll often latch on to a more obscure part of scripture. Say when Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15 the baptism for the dead, right? It'll latch on to something really obscure that's said at one point or other and then build a whole system on that 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 pleases these ignorant and unstable people. And then they end up, based on that, twisting even the clear scriptures. Notice it said, they twist these hard parts of scripture like they do all the rest of scripture too. False teaching that wants to, to be known as Christian or biblical, it usually starts with parts of scripture that aren't the clearest parts. It starts the system there and then it works backwards and makes even the clear parts of scripture to say what they want them to say. It's something to watch out for. So when someone when someone um, begins to present a system of doctrine to you, or a system of teaching, um, and alarms are going off in your head, this seems to contradict the very plain and simple things I thought I knew from my Bible. Well, don't ignore those warning bells. That's important. We start with the clear things in Scripture and then interpret everything else in light of them. But the point remains, the Bible's not equally clear in all its parts. <clears throat> there are harder things within the pages of this book. And another way to make that point is that all things aren't equally clear. That even the prophets who wrote the Old Testament did not understand some things that they themselves had written. They wrote it down and they didn't fully get it. And they knew they didn't understand it totally. Of course, the New Testament now gives us far more light on such Old Testament texts. But taken on their own, you just, you just look at them on their own. They are indeed difficult to understand. One of my favorite examples is what we saw at the end of our series in Daniel, Daniel 12. Uh, starting at verse 4, the angel says to Daniel, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. <clears throat> then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? Of course, there's a whole context to this. Go back to the series on Daniel. But how long shall it be till the end of these wonders that have been revealed to Daniel in a vision? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And next, Daniel says, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise 
shall understand. Essentially, the angel is telling Daniel, Daniel, I'm having you write things that you're not going to understand now. They're not for you to understand. In the future, righteous people will understand it better, though the wicked never will. That's a harder part of Scripture. <laughs> Prophecies of Daniel. Similarly, but in a more general sense, uh, that was a specific example, but in a general sense, Peter himself in 1 Peter 1 tells us this was a dynamic, the prophets writing things they themselves didn't totally understand. 1 Peter 1.10, concerning this salvation that we now have, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. There's stuff in this Bible that when it was first written by the prophets, the prophets longed to know more about, and they just couldn't understand the big picture. And there's stuff in here that angels long Present tense. Angels long to look into the deeper significance of things in this book. And it's deep. <laughs> so, the Bible is clear, but it's not equally clear in all its parts. And third, the Bible is not equally clear to all. It is to all people. So, um, I don't want to belabor this too much, but to sum up what Sam Waldron says here, he makes the point from 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 through 17, that he says, Timothy, from a child, literally from an infant, you've known the Holy Scriptures, but you're able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Then on the other hand, in the next breath, Paul says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for the man of God for certain things. Profitable essentially for the preacher. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be, um, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so there is um, a bit of a distinction. Some things are so clear in scripture that even a child can be made wise for salvation through them. On the other hand, the man of God is specially gifted to the church. Uh, like Paul says in Ephesians 4, uh, Christ gave to his church, um, after he says apostles, prophets, evangelists, he also says pastors and teachers, shepherds and teachers. Um, and so God has specially gifted some men to be able to plumb the depths a little more and, and then not keep it to themselves, but share with all the rest of us, right? And so a pastor should be uniquely gifted to a degree to plumb the depths of Scripture and to search out its mysteries as far as he can, uh, comparing Scripture with Scripture and so on. So the Bible is not equally clear to all, of course not. And as, as uh, Turretin earlier mentioned, the Bible certainly isn't equally clear to believer and unbeliever. That's because of their hearts not because of the content of Scripture. But what applications should we get, as we, should we mention as we think about the clarity of Scripture? Well, um, 
I'm just picking out two. And in this, I'm stealing from Sam Waldron. As, but it's not stealing because I'm telling you. Um, first of all, as we think about the fact that Scripture is clear, but it's not equally clear in all its parts. First of all, we need to submit to the public ministry of God's word. And really, this, this application is aimed at those who are tempted to despise the ministry of the local church or to despise input from other, other gifted teachers, you know, as they try to look at their Bibles. Um, and sometimes people, people get pushed into, uh, into these bad attitudes through circumstances in their lives. Sometimes they've been part of a bad church. Sometimes they've had bad pastors. <laughs> and maybe they just get the attitude eventually, you know what, forget it all, it's just me and my Bible. Uh, maybe we'll do house church, <laughs> uh, home church, just our family. Um, and people can despise the public ministry of the word and seclude themselves thinking, well, the Bible is sufficiently clear for me to just get all I need out of it myself. That's a misguided attitude because the scripture isn't equally clear in all its parts and it's not equally clear to all. As Waldron says, we must reject modern individualism. We need guides in the scripture. We must maintain teachable, humble attitudes towards our instructors in the faith. We must receive their instruction and search the scriptures. We must permit nothing unnecessarily to lessen our benefit from the public ministry of the word. It ought to be a priority for every Christian to put himself and his family under a faithful ministry of the word. End of quote. So that, that's, first of all, thinking about how there are some parts that are hard to understand. Excuse me, let's get that word out. Since there are parts that are harder in Scripture to understand, we need each other as the body of Christ. We need gifted shepherds and teachers, and I'll even go farther than that. We need our brothers and sisters to help us think through the Scriptures together. God didn't give you the Bible to go be a hermit with it. And to get everything you need out of it, just you and your Bible. That's not how this works. So that's, that's an extreme we need to avoid on that end of things. But then when we think about the fact that the Bible is, in the big picture, very clear in its basic message. Number two, we need to reject what I would call an agnostic attitude in interpreting God's word. You know what it is to be an agnostic? I'm not talking here about... Well, people usually mean that they're agnostic towards the existence of God. But when someone says, I'm agnostic, they mean, if they're talking about the existence of God, they mean, I don't know, I don't know whether or not there is a God, and, and I don't know if it can be known whether or not there is a God. Well, I'm, I'm speaking of agnostic in a broader sense than, than just about the existence of God, but... We need to reject an agnostic attitude in interpreting God's word. That is, when there's a, a debate over what something in the Bible means. Some people just are very quick to throw up their hands and say, how can we know what this means? <laughs> Maybe it can't be known, because you have all these different interpretations. So why don't we just not fight about it? Why, why don't we just say, well... Different people think it means different things, and we just can't know. 
Dr. Waldron writes, the perfection of scripture must also obliterate all cynicism or skepticism with respect to the meaning or proper interpretation of the scriptures. Even professing Christians will sometimes say, great men of God have differed. So how can I expect to be certain of the meaning of scripture at this point? How often the objection is raised, that's only your interpretation. Such objections presuppose and imply the insufficiency and obscurity of the scriptures. They are a denial of the perfection of scripture. They are an assertion that when God spoke, he muttered, stuttered, or stumbled. Such ideas are clearly rooted in rebellion against the God of scripture. They are contradicted by the sufficiency and clarity the Bible ascribes to itself. He goes on to say the perfection of the scriptures means that the source of error in matters of faith and life is sin. This is not to say that every error is solely or equally caused by sin. It is to say that unfallen men would not be guilty of sins of ignorance with regard to what they believed or practiced. When the objection is raised that great men of God have differed, the answer must be given that they are sinners nonetheless, and sinners with blind spots caused by the remaining sin. The sufficiency and clarity of Scripture must be the presuppositions with which we confront every issue of faith and life. It is our duty and our privilege to expect that our duty on any issue of faith and life will be sufficiently and clearly revealed in the Scripture. Any approach to the practical study of the Bible not rooted in such a perspective is improper and must tend to be ineffective because it grieves the Spirit who breathed out the Scriptures. Issues like the Christian Sabbath, believers' baptism, and others, perplexing as they can sometimes appear, must not be regarded as insoluble, that is, it can't be solved. Since they are clearly matters of duty, we must regard the scriptures as sufficient and clear enough to resolve them. Have you encountered this in people who just don't want to make up their minds about something? I don't want to take a position between infant baptism and believer's baptism. Because great men of God have differed. Great men of God have differed. And um, so how can I know? Well, you're ignoring the, the clarity of Scripture in its very nature. And you're ignoring the fact that Scripture may be clear where men are unclear. We all are still sinners, and, and, the sin, and sin even affects our thinking processes. And sometimes, sometimes people, in their sin, they don't want the Scripture to be clear on things it's very clear on. So don't be lazy. <laughs> and, and think for yourself. We can think of extreme examples of people who won't join a specific church because they just say, well, I'll just float around to all the churches because... Who knows what the truth is on all these doctrinal issues? <laughs> we could think of those extreme cases, but what about you? Do you have a shelf in your mind that you've shelved all these things? Uh, obviously, we can't figure everything out all at once. Obviously, we'll have to come back to things to think them over over time. But is there a shelf in your mind where you have shelved things with, with the idea that I never need to figure this out? Um, I shouldn't need to figure this out? Because people disagree on what Scripture means here, right? Are there maybe biblical duties you haven't decided, um, you haven't made up your mind about because you're denying, you're denying practically the clarity of Scripture? 
Dr. Waldron mentioned uh, the Christian Sabbath, the Lord's Day. Um, that's a good example of how, in the practical outworking of that, each man must be convinced in his own mind. Right? Paul says, even on little things, everyone should be convinced in his own mind. So search the scriptures, get good counsel, but figure out what the Bible is telling you is your duty. And don't just leave that in the limbo of, I don't need to figure that out. Um, it would be too hard work to figure it out. And I would never be sure if, if I had gotten the right answer because men, great men of God have differed. <clears throat> um, it is possible to respect great men of God I could list names that you would readily recognize. It's possibly to respect, possible to respect great men of God who differ with me on the interpretation of this or that scripture, right? Um, take a John MacArthur, who is such a wonderful expositor of scripture. And yet there's some things I think scripture is clear on that, that he and I disagree about. That's okay. We have to have that category in our mind that we can disagree with some good preacher because we've come to the scripture ourselves and we think it's clear. Maybe you're tempted to ignore the clarity of scripture um, when it shows you your sin in some area. And you find ways in your mind of getting out of what scripture says that way. Remember, scripture was not given by God to befuddle us. God didn't give us his book just to confuse us. It's clear. You need to do hard work and look into it, and it'll become clearer as you put in the work. But take your responsibility seriously. As we said toward the beginning, as John Ruther said, the last paragraph in the confession talked about the necessity of having God's spirit open our eyes to the scriptures. But when it comes to our responsibility, we need to say, I need to look into the Bible for myself and be clear on what's there in as far as I possibly can be. And God will give me more light as I'm truly, sincerely seeking light from the scriptures on any topic, on any topic. So the clarity of scripture. Next time... We will be in paragraph eight, and I'm, I'm, um, I think there's a lot of good stuff in paragraph eight. It'll go on to talk about how the word of God is inspired immediately in the original languages, but it also ought to be translated so it can be used. <laughs> but um, that's all well and good, but if we aren't convinced that scripture is clear, then we won't use it anyway, even if we have it in English. So let's, be, let's just remind ourselves, Scripture is clear. We need to open it so we can see its light. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we, we don't sufficiently give you praise. And thanksgiving for giving us your book. We often find pious sounding reasons to 
not look into it further on some subject or other. We often find reasons to think that it is obscure when it really is pretty plain and clear. We know many people in our culture want to say that that they are Christians and that they like the Bible, but they want the Bible to be unclear where it is not at all unclear. But help us to see that, that sinful tendency in ourselves as well. And help us to be honest with the scriptures, that it may shed its light in our hearts as we need it to. Lord, help us to be properly thankful for a Bible that can clearly show us how to be right with you. That can clearly show us what the path of duty is as a believer. And that clearly reveals your glory to us in the face of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the scriptures. May we make use of it as if we really believe that we can. And that we don't have to take someone else's word for it. We can look into the scriptures ourselves. We can listen to it. We can read it. And we can apply it effectively. Encourage us by your Holy Spirit to do this. Help us not to be lazy or... Um, or fearful to use the Bible for ourselves. Help us to, to be thoroughly convinced in our own mind on issues of faith and duty so that uh, we are properly uh, using your scripture the way you meant it to be used. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.